Hey, Interwed family, this is Pastor Rudy Rodriguez, Calvary City on the Hill in Provo, Utah. Just wanted to thank you all for listening and or watching via the World Wide Web and joining us in worshiping our Lord Jesus Christ or just seeking more information about God. If God puts it on your hearts, would you be willing to join us in partnering through giving to the ministry to bring the gospel to all the world by visiting our website? cityonahillut.org that's cityonahillut all one word dot org and clicking on the donate button any free will offering would be appreciated very much thank you so much god bless you um while i'm thinking about it welcome everyone praise god what an awesome uh, awesome set that was so far we got one more and that's the reason why i mentioned this um just a reminder, early on, in the next song, there's a echo for the women to do. So when we get to it, you'll, uh, you'll recognize it and we'll kind of uh, put it on you. So um, just thought I'd mention that as we uh, go into God's Word. So how is everyone? Good? Praise God. That's awesome. <clears throat> and uh, even in 2021, God is still in control. Hallelujah. Amen, yes. Um, we're in the book of Isaiah. We are still um, in that place where God has um, told the people of Israel that judgment is to come, but He's also told them that the instrument that He's going to use, the Babylonians, they will pay the price for overstepping their bounds, for the rebellion. And a lot of it is the, uh, the intent of their hearts and uh, the, the attitude with which they did what they did. Um, and God will hold them accountable for that. And, then, and that's a good thing. Because even when, uh, when an oppressor is oppressing the people and they think they're getting away with it, God holds them accountable. Especially when it comes to the oppression that they pour out on God's people. Um, and that's a wonderful thing we can take uh, refuge in. But, the, um, but here, we're, we're going to look at even someone else that God is going to, to use to judge and and the people that he's using, but now he's focused more on um, this attitude of hubris. This attitude of hubris. If you don't know what hubris is, it's essentially you're, you have these godlike thoughts that we have no business having, right? Um, hubris, just to give you an idea, when they, how many of you have heard or, or seen the movie Titanic? I've never watched the movie Titanic, but you've heard of the Titanic, right? Well, the builder of the Titanic, when it was done and built, it was the biggest ship that they'd ever made. And it was strong. And it's reported that he said on its maiden voyage, not even God could sink this ship. That's hubris. That's hubris. That's arrogance and pride. And what goes before destruction? Pride. And so uh, God takes note of that. One of the, one of the amazing things um, and it can be kind of scary if you think about it. Um, when we think of Malachi chapter 3, in fact, uh, uh, this is, this is a, a bonus. You, will, you won't get charged for it. it it's free. In, uh, in Malachi, the Italian prophet, um, Malachi 3, um, here's what it says. And it's an interesting passage. And I say that as, as an overture to, to what I'm, uh, I was about to say in that God records everything. 
He doesn't leave anything unrecorded. He's got a book. He's got scribes in heaven, if you will. And they're keeping track of everything. And most people think of it as the things that we do. So as long as we kind of hide and, and uh, you know, just don't make it overt that somehow, some way they're going to get away with it. Or, even worse, hey, there is no God. We don't have to worry about it. Um, but they will. Here's the scary thing. Because that's scary enough. He's recording everything. Even scarier, he's recording the intents of our heart and mind. Because he knows it, right? The Bible says he knows what you're thinking. He knows what you're going to say before you say it. That's pretty scary. If some of you gulped, I don't blame you. You've really never given that any thought. And that is uh, one of the attitudes that we have. But here, and here, here's one of the, the proof texts that I'll, that I'll use for that. Um, it says in the Malachi, um, Malachi, Malachi 3, verse 16. One of those great 316 verses. It says this. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. That's fellowship. That's engaging in fellowship and talking about, just for the purpose of talking about God. It's been a long time, me and my sister were doing that, we were engaged in talking about God. There's no better subject to talk about than to talk about God and the things that he's doing and what we're learning. And I had to hold my tongue a lot because she's got a little bit of different belief and understanding. She's one of those that has, and I was like, okay, I'll, I don't have to reprove everything, I can just listen. Um, but it says this, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. And what? And Yahweh, when you see the word L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that is the word that we can say is Yahweh. And the Lord gave attention and heard it. Yeah. And a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who esteem his name. They will be mine, says Yahweh, the host. Remember the host there in the Hebrew, that word connotates the idea of a military. It's militaristic. So it's powerful and majestic and overwhelming. And then he says this, on the day that I prepare my own possession, I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Hallelujah. I'm going to spare them. Praise God. So you will again distinguish between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and the one who does not serve. You see, he's keeping track of everything. Even the conversations that we're having. For the believer, those who are having those conversations about God, especially those ones that are just flowing, they're just, uh, um, you know, they, they just instantaneously come. He's keeping record of it. And that's kind of a scary thought when we think about, especially what he says, he's going to make a distinction. He is making a distinction between those who are his and those who are not. And that's just the truth. And that's scary. Um, and some of you know, and some of you have seen that uh, sometimes um, on uh, some of the social media platforms, some people dislike what I have to say because I'm going to say the truth as I see it. And I have a biblical worldview, and as, uh, and as Paul says, and I have the Holy Spirit. And, uh, and sometimes we're going to get chastised, we're going to get called things, we're going to get all kinds of opposition to those things. But if we hold true to what is one of the things, even when they're the, the angriest and the maddest, and I said, hey, look, here's the deal. This is what you support. 
and we're talking about some political stuff. This is what you support, whether you like it or not. And you're going to have to repent of that one of these days. It's not about the political party, but it's about what you are supporting. It's immoral. It's immoral stuff. And I'm praying, I'm hoping that you'll repent, that you'll be saved, that you'll receive Christ. Because ultimately, as mad as you are at me, as much as you dislike me and hate me and think all these things of me, that I care enough about you to tell you the truth. And I can, I can express it, we can express it as Christians. But, but here in, in the book of, uh, of Isaiah, Isaiah is an interesting book because he is the, pro, he is the uh, messianic prophet. He's the one who most has Jesus in mind in, in the picture of the Messiah. But he's also the revelatory, um, uh, the prince of the prophets. Um, he is the one who uh, incorporates a lot of the language, uh, or I should say, the, in the book of Revelation is incorporated a lot of the language that Isaiah used um, when it talks about what John saw, and he incorporates that, and it's, it's an interesting thing. And so here is a dynamic where God is, is looking, he's taken note, he's kept records, and he's focusing on the king of Babylon. And I don't believe that it's just um, one specific king I think it's the attitude of kings for the most part. Um, when you're given power and you have absolute, it's, it's been said that um, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And when, when you have uh, men who are just men and they have been put in a place of power and they think that they have this uh, ultimate power, absolute power, then their hearts grow super prideful. And we know that from the story of Nebuchadnezzar. And I don't think it's Nebuchadnezzar being um, brought into view here. And here's my reason why. Yes, he did have that prideful moment where he's standing on the walls of, of uh, Babylon and he's looking over it, probably like this. If you've ever seen pictures of Mussolini, he's standing there, you know, just... He says, all this I have done. I did this with my own two hands. And God says, um, hold on a second. Uh, excuse me. I, I, have a, uh, I have a project for you. And he's brought in humiliation. He's debased. He's made to be like an animal out for years and years. Until he comes to his senses. And what does he do? He says, the God of Israel, He is God. There is no other God. He's the one who did all this. And so I don't think Nebuchadnezzar is here, but that attitude is what is being displayed here. And I think we're going to see that as we go through this. So let's read the uh, uh, first 11 verses, and um, we'll see if we can get through that today. Because you know how things go. That one guy starts uh, preaching, and you know, sometimes it goes a little long. This is how it reads. verse uh, Chapter 14, verse 1 of Isaiah. It says, When uh, Yahweh will have compassion um, on Jacob and again choose Israel and settle them in the, their own land, then strangers will join them and attach themselves to the house of Jacob. And the peoples will take them along and bring them to their place. And, uh, sorry, I'm not sure why that does that. 
And the house of Israel will possess them as an inheritance in the land of Yahweh, as male servants, as female servants, and they will take their captors captive and will rule over their oppressors. That's good news. That's good news. It will be in that day when the Lord gives rest or gives you rest from your pain, turmoil, and harsh service in which you have been enslaved, that you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon and say, and this is probably, it could be specifically a, a future Babylonian king, because right at this moment as I studied this and looked around, I'm really not sure that there was an actual king over Babylon, because they had been, uh, there was invasions after invasion after invasion. One um, people would take over another people, and they would drag them off into their own things, so there was all these things that were going on. He says, but you will take up this taunt against the king of Babylon. Say, how the oppressor has ceased and how fury has ceased. Yahweh, for the Lord has broken the staff of the wicked, the scepters of rulers, which used to strike the peoples in fury with unceasing strokes, which subdued the nations in anger and unrestrained persecution. The whole earth is at rest and is quiet. They break forth into shouts of joy. Even the cypress trees rejoice over you and cedars of Lebanon saying, since you were laid low, no tree cutter comes up against us. Sheol from beneath is excited over you to meet you when you come. It arouses for you the spirits of the dead, all the leaders of the earth, it raises all the kings of the nations from their thrones. They will respond and say to you, Even you have been made weak as we. You have become like us. Your pomp and the music of your harps have been brought down to Sheol. Maggots are spread out as your bed beneath and worms are your covering. That's pretty horrific. An amazing picture. Imagine lying down in that bed. <laughs> it gives you the creeps. Hey, that's pretty creepy. Um, but this is what God has shown. Uh, today's message is called When the Mighty Are Cast Down. And there are people who are, even now, there's tech giants. There's people who think that they're beyond, that they can do everything that they do in, with um, impunity. They think they're getting away with all this stuff. But God will bring them down. And when the mighty come crashing down, they're cast down into the lowest depths of Sheol. Let's pray. Father, how we thank you for your goodness and your grace and your mercy. We thank you that you are the God who has revealed himself. And we thank you, Lord, that you didn't wait for us to make a decision or to come to you. No, but you drew us to yourself and you revealed who you were. And over time, we've come to know you because of what is written, because what is here, what is dependable, what we can trust. And it's not changing. And we thank you. And Father, I pray that uh, as we uh, go through this, uh, these passages, that you would open up our eyes, ears, minds and hearts to these truths. Lord, that we would drink them in and that we would be refreshed that you might convict us of our sin, and that you might encourage us with redemption, the truth of redemption that we have 
in Christ Jesus our Lord. For it is in His name that we pray and we thank You. We praise You that we can read and we can come together as one body and worship the living God in praise, in prayer, in song, and in the message. We thank You, Lord, for Your Word that You have given it to us and it is trustworthy. And we thank You that You are the God of all things and You're in control. We pray, Father, that You would just... uh, Help us to grasp these things and to understand them. For your namesake and for your glory's sake, we ask it in Jesus' holy name. Amen. So we've been um, in that previous chapter where we see that God was promising his people, telling them that um, although that they were going to be judged, the judgment tool that he uses, the people that he brings to them to to do what they are going to do, that they will also be judged. They will be held accountable. God's economy is such that nobody gets away with it and he wastes absolutely nothing. And here in the beginning, one of the things that uh, that we see as as we read this, um, uh, in his oracle of the judgment of Babylon, we see the example that God will indeed judge and punish them by another people, the Medes. He very clearly and expressively details the dread that is to come and overflow Babylon and his fury and anger. And remember that that's what he's got in mind. He's not talking about the kings of Israel. He's talking about Babylon. And here, in the previous chapter anyways, and here he's talking about the king of Babylon. He will. Um, some may think that uh, to themselves or say to themselves, is uh, this is one of the common things that we get uh, in, in um, when people are doubting God. This is one of the things. They'll, they'll use things like this and they'll, they'll say to themselves, if God uses a nation or person as his tool of judgment, shouldn't he not judge those that he chooses to use? And they think, is it, is, isn't it somehow morally wrong for God to do that? And the answer is no. One of the things that we're going to see here in the very beginning of, of uh, verse 1 is the prerogative of God. As God and as creator, he can do as he pleases. If he wanted to, he could wipe out the entire earth right now. That would be his prerogative. That's his right as the creator. Right? And when when people question God and they 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 throw questions like this, um, one of the things, and I've heard some some good apologists um, that have a little bit more of a backbone, and a little bit more fight in them. We'll say things like, so let me, let me get this straight. You're denying God on the basis of your morality. Where do you get that morality? Aren't you stealing it from God himself? Because you have to have a standard by which to judge. If you're just giving me your opinion, you know, if I go over and I can whack you, your opinion means nothing. And if that's all the basis of, of our morality that we're using, it's because society says so. Like that, that has no meaning. Society is not transcendent. Morality, um, one of the things that I'm, that as you, many of you know uh, from, from here, from the pulpit and from the Bible studies, I don't like to use the language of the world. I don't. And one of the things that we need to get away from is, and this was introduced back in the 80s, and unfortunately it was brought in by Christians. The word values. It's morality. There's a difference between values and morality. 
Morality is that which God has already set the standard. And we go by those morals, by the things that God says are good and should be followed, as opposed to just values. Values is a whole different concept, and we should get away from using it. That's just my two cents. I'll get off my soapbox. But don't use the, the language of the world. Use biblical language when we're talking about things so that the impact of it, because the word of God is power, and it impacts people. And uh, so when they use arguments like this, challenge them. Challenge those. Well, where are you, where are you, you're, borrow, you're making a moral judgment. Who are you to morally judge God? Think about this. The creator of the universe is the one who made all things. He can destroy your life like that. And he's the one who can cast you into him. And you're making a moral judgment against a holy, righteous, perfect God. And you're nothing but puffed up dirt. That's all you are. Challenge them. Think about that. And if you're wrong... Oh, oh man, are you going to be really wrong? See, because the Bible tells me that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and it's to the glory of God the Father. And I love to remind people that because sometimes I'll just say, you know what? They say, I don't believe in God. I'm like, that's irrelevant. You do believe. You're just denying Him. That's what it is. And here, even the, even the king of Babylon has this attitude, and we're going to see that Probably next week and maybe the week after that. We'll just see. But here I wanted to start. Um, we see when God judges, if, if we think about uh, what our Lord Jesus revealed in Matthew 5, uh, I want to read these, uh, these passages here in Matthew before we go on. So in Matthew 5, <clears throat> um, and this is why I said earlier that God judges the intents of the heart. How do I know that? Well, the intent of the Babylonian king that he's being speaking of, it's, it's this pride. It's this prideful thing. And he loved to squash people and he thought he had all this power. He thought he was, uh, had absolute reign. In fact, as I mentioned last week, Nebuchadnezzar was called, he was the king of kings and the lord of lords. And a lot of the, the, the despots and the tyrants, they would take this title in that time. I am the lord of lords and the king of kings. Well, there's only one lord of lords. And one king of kings, and that's the Lord Jesus. That's God himself, right? And so here in Matthew 5, um, 20, uh, 21 and 22, um, it says this. It says, you have heard that the ancients were told you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother shall be guilty before the court. And whoever shall say to his brother, Raka, shall be guilty before the Supreme Court. And whoever uh, shall say, you fool, shall be guilty enough to go into fiery hell. See, God is the one who can cast into hell and he warns. And I love that about our Savior. He warns people. Um, verses 21 and 22. I think I was in the wrong, wrong place. But that was, uh, um, hold on, that's right, yeah. And then I want to read 27 and 28. He says, you've heard it said, it was, uh, uh, it was, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. And that's true. Jesus then says, but I say to you. Now notice, one thing that I want you to take into account. When Jesus confronted 
the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the scribes when he did this and the priests and so on and so forth. He says, this is what you've heard. This has been your tradition. This is what you have believed. This is what you have been taught. But I say. And he's saying it with authority. He's saying it in such a way that people were astounded when he would say things like this. He said, this is what you have heard said. He said, but I'm going to tell you something different. He's taking things to another level. He says, you've heard it said in, in back in 21, you've heard it said that you shall not commit murder. And whoever commits murder, he says, but I say to you that everyone who, has, who is angry with his brother, who has hate in his heart, who has the intent in his heart to uh, has this, uh, uh, this malevolent spirit and this malevolent thoughts and things towards his brother, he says, you're guilty. Guilty of murder. That's pretty intense. That's how God sees it. We're hearing in Jesus saying that we're seeing what how God thinks and what he thinks when he sees this. He knows the intent of the heart. And in verse 27, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. Part of the law. But then he says, but I say to you, everyone who looks on a woman to lust for her has committed adultery. The way that God sees. You look at another woman, you think about another woman, you pursue another woman for the sake of this thing. He says, you are committing adultery. You're guilty as God sees it. It's the intent of the heart. And that's the danger. Remember what I read in Malachi. God records, records these things. He's taking note of them. That's a scary thing. It is. It really, it really is. Even for the believer. Sometimes I have to really, you know, fall on my knees and just repent real quick. Because, like, how can I think such a such a horrible thing? Where did that come from? Well, we know where it comes from. We know where it comes from, right? He says, "But I say to you that everyone who looks on a woman to lust after her has committed adultery, and her with her already in his heart. Where? In the heart. Well, hold on a second. I thought the world says." Follow your heart. Yeah. What does your heart tell you? What, what does your heart tell you? Your friends will say, right? Like, you don't want to know what my heart's telling me. I don't want to know what my heart's telling me. I forsake that. The Lord rebuke that. Right? It says you've done this in your heart. This is how God sees it. And this is one of the things that we have to take into account. When God looks upon the heart, that's what he sees. And, you know, for the life of me, I can't understand Christians who are doing questionable things. And I can't tell you how many times I've talked with them and said, well, who are you, who are you to judge me? God judges the heart. <laughs> yes, yes, that's the problem. Don't you get it? God judges the heart. And that's what we're seeing here in Isaiah. God, uh, this, this king and this attitude is in his heart. That's where it flows from. In, um, in Matthew again, in 15, um, 10 through 20, I want to read that real quick. Matthew 15, 10 through 20. And this is, this is how this reads. Um, oops, that's 14. Fifteen, ten through 20. I want to read that real quickly. Um, 
because it fits with what we're talking about here. Um, I hope I wrote down my reference correctly. Um, then he says this, and after he had called the multitude to him, he said to them, now realize that, he's, he's called a bunch of people. And what are they going to hear? They're going to hear the words of very God. He's drawn them to himself. And he's, he's drawn them, says he called the multitude to himself, um, and he said to them, hear and understand. Not what enters into the mouth defiles the man. But what proceeds out of the mouth, this defiles the man. We're not done yet. Now, I, there's, a, there's a purpose, I think, that he wants them to see what proceeds out of, out of the mouth that defiles a man. He, he's saying what you put into your mouth doesn't defile you. It's what comes out. And he says this, then the disciples came and said to him, um, do you know that the Pharisees were offended? They were the SJWs of today. They were the ones who were offended by everything that Jesus said. No matter what he said, they were offended. I'm offended. How dare you? How dare you? Um, and the you know, the disciples come and say, hey, these guys were, they were, they were offended. When they heard this statement, sounds like somebody was pricked in their heart. Sounds like somebody was convicted. But instead of doing what they should have done, they hardened their heart. How dare you? They turned into to Greta Thunberg. How dare you? Right? And the disciples come and tell Jesus, hey man, these guys were really offended. They, and then he says in verse 13, he said, But he answered and said to them, Every plant which my heavenly Father did not plant shall be rooted up. What's he saying? These guys are not on my soil. They're going to be... You know, I, that, take me back to those days when I was a kid. Six, seven years old, already out there in the fields in the summer, pulling beets, taking our, or defending out the beets, one or the other. You're removing all these weeds. Same idea. So my, they're, they're not part of the plants that my Heavenly Father has planted. They're different plants. And then he's, huh? No, no, no. It says that they're going to be rooted up. Now, from the root, that's an important thing because they have no part to play in it. Then he says, let them alone. Don't bother with them. They are blind guides of the blind. They're the blind leading the blind. And if a blind man guides a blind man, both will fall into a pit. He's talking about hell. He's painting a picture for them. You know, this is one of the things that, that uh, um, sometimes you get people that are uh, that are Christians that are uh, putting things out there and you, you want to engage with them in a way that is hopefully not, you know. Um, I'm a little bit confrontational, I've been told. And, uh, and, uh, and you know, even, even as, as, uh, as, as early as last night, you know, I was, and it was too correct because this person was putting out there something and, and I know some of the people that are engaged in his, his feed and he was saying that... Um, you know, pastors who don't preach that that you uh, that baptism is necessary for salvation are uh, not preaching the word of God. 
And so I just slowly engaged him and started, I'm like, because uh, I know the one of the persons, he's a, he's not, um, his mental faculties are not where they could be. And he's a little bit slower. And I'm like, hey, hold on a second. The Bible doesn't preach that. That's, you know, and we went on and on and all he was giving me was proof texts and proof texts and proof texts. He said, but let me ask you a question then. Just one simple question. Are we saved by grace alone through faith alone? Or are we saved by grace alone, faith alone, and baptism? Can you please answer that question? Which is it? It's one or the other. It can't be both. Please answer the question. More proof text. More arguments. More things. I said, but you didn't answer the question. Please answer the question. Let me phrase it in another way. Is it by grace or is it by, by grace plus baptism? Is it Jesus alone and what he did or is it Jesus plus baptism? Can you please answer that question? And I, I got to the place where I was able to say, you know, I'm just, um, I just am worried when you're teaching things that are wrong, how many people you're going to lead astray. And I care enough about you to go, hey, Hold a break there. And, and this is part of the dangers of what we deal with. And, and I'm afraid for him because of his background. He had an LDS background, as I recall. And I'm like, dude, this is, doesn't this, isn't this just part of what you left? This belief? It's either Jesus and what he did. It's either by God's grace through faith. Or it's no salvation at all. And so here Jesus is saying, if a blind man guides a blind man, they'll both fall into a pit. Then he says this, and Peter answered, uh, said to him, explain the parable to us. <laughs> I love Peter. He's just he's so manlike. I don't get it. What are you talking about? You're talking up here and I, I need it down here. And he said, are you still lacking in understanding also? Do you not understand that everything that goes into the mouth passes to the stomach and is eliminated? That's a picture. And yes, I want you to get it, as gross as it is. Because he's making a point. You eat something, and it's eliminated. There's only two places where it's going to be eliminated. Okay, Keep that picture in mind. He says, but the things that proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And those defile you. What you eat, that's not going to defile you. Comes out of your mouth. Why? Because he says this. He says, For out of the heart, out of the heart come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, slander. Because that's what defiles you. Because it comes from here. This is a picture of man. This is a picture of you and me. This is the picture of who we are in our fallen state. This is the picture of us before Christ. This is us in our B.C. era. And dare I say, this is us sometimes even now. Praise God for repentance. Praise God for His conviction. Praise God for His Holy Spirit that fills us and leads us and guides us. We don't have a blind guide, y'all. We have one who illumines the mind. He gives this list of things. He says, these are the things in verse 20 that defile the man. But to eat with unwashed hands does not defile the man. Okay? And having 
spent most of my uh, adult life on a uh, construction site, I say to that, <laughs> thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because we didn't often have water to wash our hands. We just had to wipe them as best we could, and we just ate. Right? Yep. <laughs> pour, pour your drinking water on there. And just, I was a tile setter, so that was, I generally had water, one way or the other. But uh, it's not what we eat. It's not the things, it's not the external things. It's what comes inside from, from within. That is what defiles. And so the king of Babylon is in a place where he has defiled himself and he has, um, he has demeaned God because he's overstepping his bounds in everything that God has given. Because remember, it's God who sets up kings and it's God who casts them down. He builds a kingdom and then he casts it away. He is, that's his prerogative. So going back to, uh, I want you to keep all those things in the back of your mind as we go forward, because God does judge the intents of the heart. Man, He does. And He keeps record. That's, that's terrifying. I don't like to spend too much time thinking about that. Um, and that's why, you know, Paul says, hey, take every cap, uh, thought captive. And when you have one of those thoughts, man, take it captive. Or... Rebuke it in Jesus' name. Something. So going back to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 1. When the Lord will have compassion. Again, this is part of his prerogative. Notice that it's just very forthrightly put forth when he does. God will decide when that is. When he has compassion. And, and in uh, the place where I'm reading in Jeremiah, it says that he says, I, I love, I love to express loving kindness, righteousness. Justice. And then he says another thing. He says, I delight in those. I delight in them. And as children of God, we should delight in them as well. Loving kindness. Chesed. Righteousness. And justice. And this is, these are the things that we should delight in. And here, it says, when Yahweh will have compassion on Jacob. And again, choose Israel. I want to take a moment here. The word choose when he chooses. You notice he's got Jacob and he's got Israel in the same picture frame. And he says, when again, he determines that he will choose Israel. Right now, he's cast them away. Right now, he's set them aside. Right now, he hasn't chosen them. He hasn't discarded them. He's put them away for a minute. And they're going to have to be judged. It was coming. Okay? And he says the word here, choose. The word choose here is the Hebrew word, bachar. You've got to clear your throat when you say that second part. That's the emphasis. Bachar is the word. And it literally means to choose or to elect, to decide for, to be chosen, to be selected. And the idea here is God, because of his prerogative, as creator, as the one who originally chose Israel. And if you remember when he did, uh, in some of the arguments that God makes against them, he said, I chose you. And I chose you not because you were the greatest nation, not because you were the biggest, not because you were the best people. I chose you simply because I chose you. It's his prerogative. He doesn't have to have a reason. He, the only reason that he needs is his own good purpose is the intent of his own will, according to the counsel of his own will. 
And this is the things that we have to understand. Um, interestingly, I was curious, and I thought, hmm, that's curious. I've never noticed that because I didn't really stop and think about it. So I wanted to check it out, and I said, I wonder what the Septuagint, how that, how that records that, and how that, that uh, um, is recorded. And, and if you don't know what the Septuagint is, it's the Greek version of the Old Testament. And so I went to there, and I looked, and I looked, and I looked. And sure enough, it's the word reflectos. The same word that, is, that Paul uses. It's the same word that Jesus uses when he speaks of the elect. Very same word. Klektai is how it's written in the uh, Septuagint. But it's the same word. And it's the idea of God predetermining and choosing according to his own purpose and his own will. And he's saying the same thing. It, uh, it means the definition is chosen in the Greek Septuagint. It's, it's the word eklektos, eklektai. It means chosen by God, ultimately. He chooses. He chooses nations. He chooses people. He chooses persons. And it's all for his purpose. We don't always know his purpose, but this is what he does. It's, uh, it's the idea of to obtain salvation through Christ. Chosen by God to obtain salvation through Christ. Hallelujah. Praise God. If you are saved today, it's because God has chosen you to obtain salvation. Not to make it possible. Not to make it probable. To make it assured. Because it's in His hands. As to Christians, Christians are called chosen or elect of God. The Messiah is called elect. Paul calls him that. As appointed to the most exalted office conceivable. It is God's prerogative as creator and sovereign of the created universe. To do as he pleases. He has the right to choose what, whom, and whatever he wills. In accordance with his own standards. And he, he doesn't have to bow to anyone. No one is ever going to go to God, how dare you? In the end. No one. And I know that some would argue that this, this would uh, apply here. This is only applying to a group or to a nation or to a people. It's not applying specifically to salvation when it comes to it. But you would be wrong. I would disagree with you. And uh, this is where, in your bulletins, I've, I've suggested that, and I commend to you to read Romans chapter 9 through 11, the chapters, the, two, the 9, 10, 11, okay? So the three chapters. Also read Ephesians 1, 1 through 14. It's very clear what Paul understood. It's very clear what Jesus was saying when he used the word elect. It's very clear what, and I would also recommend to you in the book of John, um, I think it's 15. 10, yeah, John chapter 10. Also read that. Because in there, yeah, so the, there's, there's a lot of places, but those places are specific where Jesus is talking about this very thing. And even in John chapter 10, he, uh, where he's talking about it, he says that, that no one can come to me unless. And those, there's a reason why it's been translated this way. Because no one can come to Jesus unless... The Father first brought him. 
the first thing that has to happen. And it says there also that God will teach those who are His and reveal the Son to them. He'll teach you why you need Jesus. He's the one that will do this. Um, so here, what's being recognized here is right now they've been set aside. They're, they've been uh, um, put in time out, if you will. And they're going to be punished. They're going to be judged. But God will again deal with them because when He chooses to have compassion on them, He will again choose Israel. And for those that would say, well, it's only talking about a group, I want you to think about this. In the book of Genesis, in the book of Genesis, and I put these in your bulletin, in the book of Genesis, when it came to uh, after Adam was made and he failed, miserable failure, rebel from the word go, and he rebelled against God, and then he had sons, Cain and Abel. There we read, if you go back into Genesis, you read the account of Cain and Abel, and you see that, that uh, when they uh, brought offerings to God, one was accepted and one was rejected. And when you read the text, I don't see anything in this that tells us exactly why. And I believe because it's God's prerogative. And he doesn't have to explain it to anybody. And so God made a choice between two people in that instance. And then you, you think about Noah, the very next one that's being spoken of. Noah found favor in God's eyes. It wasn't because there was anything particular about Noah, although we've been taught that in many Sunday schools and so on and so forth. No, it was just simply God favoring Noah, his prerogative. And after that, and his sons, and from them, all of the, the, the people come from, right? And then after that, you have Abraham. There was people that he could have chose, but out of everybody in the entire world, he chose Abraham. And from Abraham, he made that choice. It wasn't Abraham that chose him, it was the others. And then he told uh, Abraham and Sarah that I'm going to choose Isaac. I'm going to give you a son. And Abraham had a son. He's go, oh yeah, I, uh, Ishmael. Yeah, yeah, you use him. And God says no. And God recognizes the one that He chose as Abraham's only son. Interesting. God chose. He made a choice. He chose the younger as opposed to the older. And that's not the last time that happened. It happens again in Isaac with his son Esau and Jacob. Before they're born, he tells Rachel, you're going to have two nations within you. And the older will serve the younger. I've chosen the younger. He made a choice. It wasn't based. They weren't even born. They couldn't do bad or good. Except for the fact that they had this fallen nature. So the point being here is, is he's pointing out when God chooses to do what he chooses to do, no one can thwart him. No one should challenge him. And no one can, really. And it will not be changed. And the good news is, what the prophet is saying here, what Isaiah is telling his people, God's going to choose you again. You're going to have mercy. You're going to see again the compassion of God. And that is good news. In the midst of all of the stuff that you're going to go through, he's going to have compassion. He's not done with you yet. 
And that's the message for us today. We may be in places where we think that God is done with us. He's not done with us. He's not done with us. He's going to use you. If He is still drawing you to Himself, He's going to use you. And He will have compassion. And when He chooses to use you, be ready. Right? Fear is going to come in. Doubt is going to come in. And you're going to want to run away or, no, this can't be for me. Trust me. I've been, I've, 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 over the years, I've gotten into the habit of, like, Lord, I can't do this. This is beyond me. So you're going to have to do it. And I'm going. I may make a fool of myself, but I'll be a fool for Jesus. Amen? So he says that, that God will choose. And so in, in those instances, we see that the nation of Israel was ultimately chosen, but he did it through the people, even in Joseph. He had a whole 11, or 12 people to choose from, and he chose one person, the younger, at that time. There was two that would come along that would be the younger, but at that moment, he was the youngest, and he chose Joseph. And in every instance, there was, there was nothing in particular that I can see in any of those passages that, are, that, are, that I've shared with you where it was because they were something different about them. It was simply because God chose. And when God chooses, he does something different inside of us. And we can be saved because he has chosen. And I would also recommend to you, um, so, so read those, those, those passages if you can, and, and to, make, to get this to uh, uh, be fortified in your mind. It is the prerogative of God to be able to choose. His sovereignty extended to those as well. He is sovereign. Um, this is his prerogative and this is what he does. And he's going to choose to bless the nation of Israel again. And notice what he said. He's going to settle them in their land. So he's going to bring them back. Remember the remnant? Remember early on when we were talking in, in uh, Isaiah? Yeah. Um, and he also says, not only am I going to uh, bring you back to your own land, he says, then strangers will join them. Now this is my opinion. I'm giving you my opinion. I think here we're given a little tiny glimpse, a little blip. Very possibly... Because remember in Ephesians where, where uh, uh, Paul talks about the mystery. In, in Ephesians chapter 3, I believe it is. Where, where he talks about the mystery was hidden for ages. But he's made known the mystery of the church. He's made it known to us through the apostles and through the church itself. And it was hidden, he said. In, in the Old Testament, it was hidden away. And the prophets desired to know what it was that they were talking about. But... Here he's saying, um, I believe here, who are the strangers that will join them? Well, here there was an immediate fulfillment where strangers from around would come in, but it could be also a picture of the church in the future. Because remember, we're grafted into the natural branch. We're the wild branch. <laughs> it's funny that he should say that. We're the wild guy. We're the wild-eyed freaks, gun-toting. First Amendment, Fountain, and Bible thumping, Jesus preaching. We're that strangers. And we're going to be attached to Jacob. And I think that could be very well one of those pictures. And uh, uh, when I was reading this, I was like, who are those strangers? Because I ask myself questions when I'm reading. Who's these strangers? What are you talking about? I wish he did it, would have identified them more. 
But it's very possible that we're looking at a small, tiny picture of the church. Just a little, poof, quick flash. Oh, subliminal thing. But it may be that. But God will have compassion. He's going to bring them back to their own land. You know uh, that feeling that we get, that, that uh, sense that we have when you've been gone from, from a, a place, you've gone on vacation, or maybe you've gone to, uh, in, in my instance, uh, you know, going to Idaho to bury all my loved ones and so on and so forth. There's something about going home. Something about going home. You get home and it's like, oh, home. That's the idea. He's, he's given him, he's like, look, I'm going to bring you back. I'm bringing you back. And that's the compassion of God. And that's a wonderful thought and feeling. Because as God will continue to use us, and He will do so, and He will choose to use us, and you, and He will one day take us home. He will one day take us home. This is not our home. We have a new, in a, a new heaven and a new earth that we'll be a part of. It's going to be awesome, y'all. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be glorious beyond our wildest imagination. I have relatives, my mom and my dad, who were Christian. My sister, who was a Christian. My grandparents. We've uh, had services here. Miss Norma Jean. Miss Gina. Their minds are blown. They've only begun. They've barely begun to understand the glory and the majesty and the wonder. Of this home that they will one day have. Because there's nothing better than to be in the presence of God. And that's ultimately where he's going to bring them. When he brings us home. This is the message that he will. We will be with him. And he will be with us. We will be with him. He will be with us. He will be our God. And we will be his people. That's what we're ultimately. That's our goal. That's our, our destination. Is to not give up to persevere, and to continue. Because if you're saved, God has chosen. And if you're not saved, you can be saved. Confess your sin. Confess your sin to God. Thank Him for sending Jesus to die on the cross and that He was buried and rose again in accordance with the Scriptures on the third day. Hallelujah. Because Christ has risen. Christ has risen. Christ has risen! Truly He is risen! Amen. Let's pray. Father, how I thank You and praise You bless You. You are good. I thank You, Lord, that You are risen, that You ascended, and that You are at the right hand of the Father, that Your Spirit works within us, it burns within us. I pray like the song that we sang earlier, Lord, that we would make You our focus, that You would be the center of our universe. And that you would be glorified, magnified, and exalted to use cracked pots like us. That your light would shine through and draw those who are stumbling around in the great darkness. And they would see a great light. And the light is that of our Lord and our Savior and our Redeemer and our King. It shines through the cracks in our brokenness. And that we don't hide our brokenness, but we, we glorify and boast. In those weaknesses. So that our God and King will be glorified. And we let them know. That you can meet us. Your mercy can meet us wherever we're at. I pray for those Lord who maybe have never received you. That they would by faith. 
by your grace. And that they would thank you and praise you and bless you. And ask to be forgiven of their sins. And know that Jesus paid that price. And that it has been paid in full. Hallelujah. And that we can rejoice and glorify our God who is in heaven. Thank you for these words. Thank you for the, for the uh, choice that you have. That is sure. Instead of the choice that we have which is tainted. And messed up. And toe up from the floor up. Lord I thank you. And I praise you. That you are good. That you are perfect. And that you are immutable. And those things will never change. The God that we encounter at the foot of salvation, the cross, is the same God who will love us and keep us and teach us and guide us and grow us and mature us to faith to where we're no longer a people of faith, but that faith will be realized in Christ Jesus, our Lord, when we're present before Him. We thank You, we praise You, we bless You in Jesus' holy name. Amen.